Oh, oh, for the days, oh, for the days when the Patriots could comfortably win a team without breaking a sweat. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. It was a hell of a week, we got a lot of games to get to, so we're just going to fly straight into it. Hey guys, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on guys, any cracked, any cork? Yeah, pretty good. We uh, we put up the Christmas decorations this weekend, so uh, that was a good, a good fun few hours of activity. Um, the cat is already starting to attack all the bobbles. Um, it's sort of like cat's game for the next month is to try and see how many, how much of the decorations she can knock down. Oh, very fun. Does the cat she see it as an invader or is it just a toy? <laughs> I think it's a toy. Uh, last year she got about a third, the bottom third of the tree was basically bare by the time Christmas came around. Huh. So that's, that's the target she's aiming for. <laughs> she wants to improve her performance on last year. What about yourself, Fitz? I oh, yeah. A uh, bit, bit quieter here. Uh, no, no decorations, uh, unfortunately. But uh, look, uh, I was watching the old Cavan lads get a good beating at the weekend. And Jesus, then yeah, my, it was uh, rough going. <laughs> NFL team lose uh, surprisingly, so wasn't the best for the sport. Uh, but uh, <laughs> overall, I think I'm like a couple of days away from kind of going into a de facto cocooning for a week before I head home, just to kind of be on the safe side. So uh, oh, very nice. Yeah, looking probably finish up work about a week early and then uh, head up straight over to Chris, Chris sit down on the uh, 16th, uh, probably, even though that's against the rules. Oh, very scary. Ooh, <laughs> How dare like, you? Well, you know, I'm kind of like, well, if I'm going to have to take a bus, I'd probably want to take it, you know, when it's less busy uh, rather yeah. than shoving in. So, I don't know, kind of made sense to me. And uh, if the guardian want to stop me, then, then I'll tell them all about the sad story of my mother waiting for me at home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or just start talking statistics to them. Oh, well, that too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find yeah, that, yeah. I find that works less than uh, sympathetic stories about one's mother. But, uh, you know, I'll try mm. both. See, I'll do a control group and a treatment group and see which one ends up working better. <laughs> yeah, with the, with, with the joy of uh, the boiler in our place decided to stop working like a day and a half ago. But we didn't realize till the afternoon, so we had to spend an evening in like I think it was like minus three degrees in Dublin, and it was fucking Baltic in the house. Uh, so it was, it was oh, we survived. Uh, but yeah, we got that got that fixed now. Although it seems to be only half fixed, so it kind of we can turn it on, but you have to do it manually. The timer thing doesn't seem to work, uh, and it turns itself off after a little while. So, like you know, we can keep ourselves warm now, but they'll want to get that sorted if they don't want pipes bursting whenever we're you know, off to visit families over the Christmas period. But apart from that, nothing too too wild or strange. Got, a, I think, all the Christmas shopping finished now, which is good. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just starting to book needed. in the holidays. Fun times. Uh, so we'll fly to the news. Uh, COVID-19 cases in Seattle, uh, New York, Carolina, Cincinnati. Uh, Seattle are the final team to get a season, an in-season case. Uh, there's no schedule changes at all this week uh although i suppose we've got a we've got a tuesday night game uh and we had an extra monday night game coming from the the, the push into wednesday last week uh kansas city woke up on sunday with seven positive tests uh facing a game that day but then it turned out all seven were false positives so that's a pot 
that's a good thing, I suppose, but also a bit worrying that that can happen still at this point on that scale. Um, and Baltimore have been found to have four different strains of COVID-19. Uh, one in particular was responsible for the team outbreak. So they're not going to have any travel for head coaching or GM candidates until candidates and hiring team. Uh, until the season is finished, they're going to have to wait, which will probably... Like, to a certain extent, you think it would impact them, but I imagine that that will all be done a little bit more uh, delayed this year than it would have done in previous. So overall, not a bad week for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the main thing, again, um, given the disaster, the near disaster of, of last week is that all the games happened last week and all the games happened this week, and we're now only four weeks left in the regular season. The, the NFL can kind of see the, the light at the end of the tunnel um, it looks like the protocols are holding together just the, the, the massive outbreak um, last week um, in the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game. That, to me, I was, I was quite concerned at that point that the season was, was about to make it crashing to an end. But um, seems like that, that, that disaster is over and now that there's a hope. Um, I mean, I think the general level in America is so high that there's, these kinds of cases are, are, are unavoidable. Um, but it seems the protocols are working for the moment um, and are being stuck to as rigidly as are necessary. But we'll see uh, if we, they can keep that up for the final seven, eight weeks uh, of the season if you count the yeah. playoffs. Particularly pushing into kind of Christmas time and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be difficult. You're going to expect to see a bit of a, a spike happening around there at that point. But uh... Yeah, like I think... You know, things have calmed down in the NFL this week. They did introduce a bunch of new restrictions, you know, in terms of team, like players being around each other. Um, obviously, the, the wider U.S. situation has only continued to be at least as bad as it has been and probably getting worse with uh, thousands of deaths a day. Um, but, yeah, I think right now we had a shorter week, I suppose, in terms of the podcast. So maybe that explains why there's less teams involved at the moment. But, like, look, Seattle... It, Brian Monet, the defensive tackle, got that. That's the final team to get a case. Uh, he was kind of off off campus. He hasn't been with the team for multiple weeks. So I think it just shows how prevalent it is in the wider uh, wider pool, in the wider population. And look, the travel situation, that just means that all these meetings for potential head coach, GM, and other uh, staff will be done virtually. And it's only when that the season is over for both the team who's hiring and the team who you're hiring from is completed their season that you'll have them be able to meet in person. I'm sure for some people that will be a big deal, like uh, you know old school owners who want to meet them in person and shake their hand and see what the what the make of them is. But uh, you know realistically, we've all had to get used to virtual meetings and and you know in terms of screening, I don't really see a huge problem with that. Yeah, no, of course. Speaking of hiring candidates, uh, New York Jets have fired their defensive coordinator Greg Williams. This comes after. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, but to be honest, I'm just surprised that he went before fucking Gates did. Um, yeah, so this came after a terrible, terrible, terrible defensive call. Uh, they were about to, no, oh, say about to, they were very close to winning the game against Vegas. They decided while Vegas were at the midfield uh, and running out of time and had no timeouts to call basically a zero blitz with no support, allowed them to lose the game, as we'll discuss later on. So this left them at the tail end, the, like, so far under his tenure, 30th, in points and 29th in yards allowed, uh, although they do lack a lot of talent on that side of the ball. 
like Greg Williams is not a well-considered coach, a controversial figure. He was involved in the Bounty Gate scandal in the Saints back in the day. He uh, was there for the 0-16 season in Cleveland. He was an interim head coach down there the year afterwards, I believe, as well. And did not terribly, but uh, you know, anything versus someone who won one game in three seasons will look good. Um, yeah, this is probably the last big move of the Gase era in the Jets organization. They've made the assistant Frank Bush, Bush the interim defensive coordinator. But Greg Williams, like... Yeah, he's not the worst, but he's not in any way good. Yeah, it's one of those cases where, look, Greg Williams is not an untalented defensive coordinator. He's had some pretty good defenses over the year, going all the way back to when he won the Super Bowl in New Orleans. But when you're weighing up his talent and his ability to extract you know, decent performance versus all of the baggage that he brings in terms of you know, a disruptive presence in the locker room, uh, a kind of... A, bit of a dick by all accounts based on what we've seen uh in terms of yeah, he, game, but he, also he's also he's managed to like he's managed to go season to season to like i think i've seen him on hard knocks like 10 separate years at this point yeah and he's a prick in all of them and players who are talented have left and gone thank god i don't have to be in that organization anymore uh players like jamal adams most recently for example so look like you know he may be very smart but that only gets you so far in the nfl and we saw that when you know, this D, which was very untalented, to be fair, you know, when the talent is taken away, he wasn't able to turn water into wine. So he's not this kind of transcendental uh, defensive coordinator by any stretch. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, like, look, he'll pro like, to be honest, he'll probably find the job again uh, if he wants one. Um, I don't know if it'll necessarily be a DC straight away. Um, but I think for a Jets organization, which is, you know, just had so much dysfunction, especially in the Gay Sarah, you know, I suppose seeing the end of him and hopefully seeing the end of Gates very soon uh, can't come soon enough when they get their uh, and then, you know, get their new quarterback in, get a new organization in and see if they can fix things around with Joe Douglas at GM. Uh, we've got some injuries from around the league this week as well. Uh, Indianapolis offensive tackle, Raven Clark, has done his Achilles and he's gone for the season. Uh, Washington running back, Antonio Gibson, injured his toe at the start of the game and is unknown when he'll be back. Linebacker Eric Kendricks from Minnesota is hamstring week to week and their running back, Matheson, has appendicitis, which means he's week to week. And running back, Frank Gore, got a concussion early on in the game and he is now also week to week. So obviously... These are a couple of teams who are all, well, with the exception of the Jets and hopefully the Vikings, making a push towards the, uh, the potential <laughs> offseason. Uh, yeah, it's tough for, for, for Indianapolis, particularly that they've now got a less mobile, uh, badly foot-injured Philip Rivers back there. Uh, losing an offensive tackle is never, never a good thing. And Washington were quite dependent on their running game, even though, as we'll discuss in the games later on, they still managed to uh, pull it out. Yeah, like Raven Clark has been up and down since he was drafted by the Colts. But I think, you know, whenever you're, if he's starting, then that gives you an indication that they probably didn't have much additional depth that's likely to make that offensive line better. But I think the strength was elsewhere on that line. So it shouldn't be a complete disaster. But as you mentioned, Philip Rivers is playing hurt as well. He's obviously not very mobile these days. So it could certainly be an issue. And look, Antonio Gibson has been a, a pretty 
a great first round, oh, sorry, a pretty great rookie for the Washington team. And, you know, if he's out there, then you're relying on J.D. McKissick and Peyton Barber, who are both solid players, but obviously much more limited in terms of what they can do on the field. Whereas Antonio Gibson kind of had that dual threat. You know, he was a, a factor in the run game and the pass game that neither of those guys can do as a single player. And look, Eric Hendricks and Alex Manamanison. Look, Minnesota, I think, are actually now in the, the wildcard spot, the final wildcard spot. So they are relevant. These are, these hurt. But I think they can probably survive both of these, um, depending on how they go. Eric Kendricks, if he's out, that's a bit more problematic. But Madison's only really there to spell uh, Dalvin Cook, so that should be fine. And look, Frank Gore, he, he's old. Uh, hopefully he recovers okay. Although, to be honest, the Jets looked a lot better when they took him out of the lineup uh, once he had his injury early on. Yeah, the young fella that they had seemed to be playing very well for them. Well, the, uh, you say young, but they're both like retreads, like Ty Johnson's been around for a couple of years. And the uh, guy, Adams, the guy from, he's been in Philly a couple of years. So they're both kind of been around. But, uh, but they're also look, presumably like 18 years younger than Frank Gore. Well, yes, <laughs> compared to Frank Gore, they are young. But I'm pretty sure that's every single running back in the league except for Adrian Peterson. I'm sure he's still young compared to Gore as well, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, no, fair enough. We got a um, only major signing I can come across this week is Cleveland signed wide receiver Marvin Hall um, obviously look they're missing a few people on there they're relying on now look they're getting production out of someone like Peoples Jones and stuff but they need some depth at wide receiver so they're, um, they're, they're, they're bringing him on for there We'll move over to crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Cincinnati safety, Sean Williams and Tennessee, Tahir Hart have been suspended for a game each for stepping on players. There was a giant brawl in the Cincinnati-Miami game that uh, will not lead to suspensions, apparently. Um, Tennessee, Isaiah Williams is suspended by the team for violating club rules, which normally means he's done something against the NFL rules that the NFL just haven't figured out yet. And uh, free agent linebacker Vontez Burfitt, yeah, that prick, uh, arrested on battery charges in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, so not a not not a great week for, yeah, for basically what has been a quiet year on the crime and punishment front versus standard years, I think. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm very surprised that we haven't had anything overly dramatic. Um, so far, not not since that that bust up um, over someone's was a girlfriend or, or something that that mad story. Nothing yeah. of that scale since. I think the NFL players are really letting themselves down in COVID season, having a quiet one. Um, nothing, nothing short of um, Antonio Brown uh, breaking security cameras uh, since then. So yeah, it's been it's been quiet by NFL standards, certainly. Yeah, I got to imagine we're due an Antonio Brown story at some point, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the Cincinnati-Tennessee one's stepping on players. That's a pretty shitty thing to be doing. Though. Yeah, I think they're both appealing it, though, because obviously we know, I think they were both expelled during the game, and, and it's usually pr- pretty unusual that the NFL would suspend you after being ejected, but I think that kind of behaviour we've seen in the past from people like Sue earlier in his career, it's the kind of thing the NFL really doesn't want to see go around. And look, the Cincinnati-Miami brawl is ugly, but the you know inciting incident was also very ugly, so I think everyone's kind of like, that's probably fair enough mm. with the cheap the cheap shot that that the uh, Jakeem Grant took, the, the returner took uh, during that. And Isaiah Wilson is probably already shaping up to be one of the big first round busts of this year's draft class. Um, he's he's had COVID nineteen, he's had disciplinary issues, and now he was suspended for a short period for violating club rules. All of that speaks to someone who 
doesn't quite have their head in the game. We'll see if he can turn that career around. But uh, Tennessee might be looking to get rid of him uh, probably you know, much sooner than they would like if this kind of stuff keeps up. And look, Von Desperfect will never play football again and uh, hopefully we never have to think about him again because uh, this only puts the final, well, final several nails in the coffin that was already pretty well shut. No, of course. And I suppose with that, we'll move he, he on. He might turn up at the XFL, you never know, if that comes yeah. back. Well, The <laughs> Rock has bought the XFL now. I don't know. Yeah, he bought the XFL, so it's not dead yet. Like, if anyone can turn it around, it's The Rock. That's perfect? No. <laughs> uh, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson plays Fontes Burfitt in Why Do I Keep Hurting People? Uh, yeah, we'll move on to the games from last week because there's a lot to get through. Okay, so first up, Washington at Pittsburgh, 23-17. to 17. What's that you say? The Washington football team are the 23. Excellent. Uh, Alex Smith, 296 yards and a touchdown leads a comeback with Thomas going for nearly 100 and touchdown and Sims for 92. Their defense was great. Uh, interception, only 300 and so yards allowed. And they did this all missing their kind of starting running back who went out early with an injury. Uh, no Pittsburgh rushing attack at all. They had 21 yards. Uh, it's been atrocious for a week or two. And to be honest, it wasn't amazing with Connor in there. I was never a big fan of his anyway. Um, but yeah, so like they weren't able to kind of dust it away. Ben didn't do a ton. 300 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. Their defense sacked a little bit in the tail end, but not much. Like I remember just watching early in this game, watching Pittsburgh try to run it in three times and then go for, I think, a fourth time. And then they got a penalty and they got three more attempts. And in seven attempts, they couldn't get a yard. And during that period, they had brought on... Chase Claypool to act as like a distraction. So he would run and he would run and be completely open and Ben just wouldn't see him. And then he would try and throw it at additional linemen or he would like try and pass it to Benny Snell. Like this is a, this is an awful Pittsburgh team. Well, I think awful is overstretching. And I mean, they are 11 and one. I mean, it's, it is to me, I think an emperor has no close scenario when they were unbeaten there were a lot of kind of talk about do they really deserve to be, are, are they really an 11-0 team? Even myself, I mean, I two weeks ago predicted that they would eventually lose their winning record uh, in an upset. I mean, I, I thought it was Jacksonville. I didn't think a team <laughs> in the NFC East would be capable of it, um, but I was I was wrong on that account. They're a good team, right? That they are, they are a good team and their defense is very strong. Their offense has some very big... Um, weaknesses in the second half of this game, particularly they were, they're very poor. I don't know if they scored. They may have scored three points in the second half, something like that, which was, was quite bad. I mean, we always felt that their unbeaten record would eventually fall easily and that they weren't better than the Chiefs. But even still, this was quite the collapse for them. They were up 14-0 uh, at one stage against what is, to be fair, a very fairly limited team. The, the Washington team um, don't have an awful lot going for them, but other than their kind of stick to their kind of determination to keep going um, to the very end. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's not quite the the collapse of the Pittsburgh hype, but merely a correction to say that, yeah, they probably weren't the number one seed, but they may very well be the number two seed uh, in the AFC because I still think they're quite a good team, even take into account a, a game like this. Yeah, and don't take anything away from the Washington team. This is a team... Without a name and with Dan Snyder as an owner, but yet already under Ron Rivera, they've turned into a pretty solid squad. And, you know, Alex Smith, comeback player of the year easily. Um, and he was incredibly savvy in this game because Pittsburgh went out 
um, to stop Terry McLaurin. He only had two catches, less than 20 yards. So they zoned in on him. They stopped their number one weapon. As you mentioned, Antonio Gibson went out early with an injury. So you're down your top two weapons that have been pushing you to being back to relevance over the last month or so. And yet Smith still managed to spread the ball around. He found Logan Thomas, their tight end. He found Sims, their wide receiver too. He really made a lot of you know, impressive plays for someone who shouldn't be playing football. Like, he's not going to push the ball downfield every play. He's going to rely on the run to kind of do some of the work for him. But he's a very savvy operator. He hasn't lost his smarts and he hasn't lost his ability to read the game well after, you know, having so many years in the wilderness to start his career. And, of course, it was a really savvy play by him at the end of the first half where, you know, they, they had no timeouts. He threw it deep. They were in a, you know, a tight clock situation. And he took a sack, which obviously is a bad thing to do. But while he took the sack, he took the ball with him. He walked off the field with the ball in his hand. And because of an obscure rule, which basically means that, you know, the, the, the referees are supposed to provide a separate ball for kicking. And because he had taken it off and the refs weren't ready for that because they thought, obviously, he's going to give the ball to the ref, like to give the, the game ball to the refs because, you know, they, they want to take a quick a kick quickly. It was the ref's fault that the, the clock went down and they went, oh, our bad. And that meant that they basically got a free timeout at the end. And it, it certainly seems like he meant it because there was like TV footage of him picking the ball and the ref with his hands out waiting for him to like, like throw it to him. <laughs> and he gives a big smile to the Pittsburgh defense. So, look, I don't know if Alex Smith spent his entire time rehabbing just like getting to Bill Belichick levels of, of bastardry in the rulebook, but... <laughs> <laughs> that, it, it's a play that was important. They got those three points to make it 14-3 at the half. He led it, He was obviously good at quarterbacking as well, but uh, yeah, fair play to him and fair play to Washington. It keeps them up to date with the, what is suddenly becoming a somewhat competitive NFC East. Yeah, very fun. Uh, Vegas at the Jets, 31-28. to Back and forth game ended with, the, as we mentioned earlier, the zero blitz that managed to get them fired, the defensive coordinator fired. Carr, 386 yards, four touchdowns and an interception, like strike about 50 yards and a touchdown off that, to be fair. Um, but yeah, this game was all about Darren Waller, their tight end, uh, just completely unblockable. 200 yards, two touchdown. Uh, they didn't have a much in the run game, but I suppose they had the injury to the starting running back, so they were probably just trying to work around that. Uh, Darnold, like 186 yards, two touchdowns was all right. Their rushing was good, 206 yards, but their defense kind of let them down a little bit here. Um, it was bizarre. Like, this is a game that <laughs> the Jets could have won. I really, like, Okay, there's only so much you can take out of the Jets' performance. It was good. I'm really confused about this Vegas team. So this went from, like, beating the Chiefs and then, like, running them really good to then collapsing last week against the Falcons and scraping past the Jets. Like, and they only scraped past the Jets because the Jets literally handed them the game at the tail end by fucking up their defensive coverages. I don't know what to make of this Vegas team whatsoever. Yeah, I think... The big thing for them is that they failed to adapt to the fact that Josh Jacobs went out early in that Atlanta game. They didn't have Josh Jacobs here, and the run game really didn't get going. They had less than three yards of carry, and they they like they they kind of tried to play like the, the the formula that worked earlier on in the season against the non-Chiefs games, basically, mm-hmm. um, which is to try and run the ball, grind them out. They obviously probably thought, this is the Jets, we can just, you know, salt this game away, play conservative, and just make sure we don't give them any easy chances. And ultimately, that didn't end up being true. They ended up getting involved in a huge back and forth in late in this game when the Jets had 15 points in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that's to do with the fact that a key weakness for them all season has been their run defense. Their run defense 
defence has been awful. And yeah, they were missing a few starter, starters here due to COVID situation. I believe Abram was out, uh, for example, and Cleland Farrell, their, their, their first round pick from a couple of years ago was out. So that probably did affect their defensive play as well. But there's, there's no way you should be giving up 200 yards to a combination of Ty Johnson and Josh Adams. That just shouldn't happen if you're a truly playoff-capable team. And the fact that they did this and then, and as you say, lost with Atlanta last week, yeah, I don't have any trust in them. Yes, the Derek Carr showed up late in this game and then started throwing it around, but you still saw long stretches early on in this game where he looked as bad as he did against Atlanta. And that's just a... I don't know, this team... It has a formula. It likes to control games, but it just feels like that 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 kind of steadiness that they had earlier on and the occasional spark that we saw in the Chiefs game. They're slowly unraveling that away and becoming a game, a team that's over reliant on like Darren Waller or Henry Ruggs to bail them out. And I think you know for a team that's designed to be consistent and to win games close, that's a huge concern going forward because you're not going to play teams as bad as the Jets going forward. Yeah, I, I think I think that the idea that they didn't take this game seriously on some sort of subconscious level, I think, really explains it. Certainly, the the way the game uh, came out in terms of its dynamics kind of lends itself um, to that narrative, where they they let the Jets score some early touchdowns and were down fourteen and fourteen seven at one point, but then they kind of got control of the game and were up comfortably. I think it was twenty three fourteen or one point, or maybe even more than that. They had. 24, 14, or something like that. So anyway, the, 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 they looked like they'd overcome the, the early jitters had taken control of the game, were cruising going into the fourth quarter, and then they just seemed to stop playing. And only when they, they only start, started to start playing again uh, when they were four points down, and then they were just given a win. I mean, the Jets, I don't know. The, these kind of moments, it is the question, are, are the Jets just this bad, or are they actively tanking um, at this point? Because they, they, basically, they basically gave this win away because they didn't want to. For the Raiders, they're alive, but only just in the playoffs. They have a very big game next week now. They're facing the Colts in what essentially is an AFC eliminator. That The wild card, there's so many good teams in the AFC that the wild card cutoff is likely to be at least 10 wins. Um, and so if the Raiders can't beat the Colts next week, um, their season is basically over. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievably frustrating. to I, I kind of... Having watched the, the second game against the Chiefs when they played so well, I kind of gave them a little part of my heart and being like, yeah, I I'm, I'm want the Raiders to do well. I'm going to give them a little bit of a kind of a, a follow. Um, and then they've had two of the worst performances of the season back-to-back. Um, so they've, they've broken my heart for the last time. Uh, and uh, I, I've had it with this um, Raiders <laughs> team. They've, they've, got, they've got a lot of work to do to demonstrate that they are... <coughs> They are worthy um, of um, a place in the playoffs because on this kind of form, they they will go, they will struggle to get to eight and eight, uh, even with the weak schschedule they have uh, coming down the stretch. Yeah, uh, and like I said, the Jets, a decent enough performance from them, but you can't take anything from this year at all for them. Uh, Giants at Seattle. This one was a bit of a surprise there, Fitzy. Seventeen to twelve. New York Giants defense comes to play. They said, we ain't got Danny Dimes. That ain't no problem. Uh, They rushed for 190 yards and 35 for Goldman and Freddie Morris picking up two touchdowns. Uh, I kind of forgotten that that was where he was, to be honest. Uh, Like we said, the defense, five sacks. Uh, McCoy had 100 yards passing and they still won. Uh, Russ cooked 263 yards, a touchdown, an interception and a forced fumble. So he cooked, but it didn't taste very good. And uh, they missed a couple of chances there. Like, yeah, it was... 
not a great performance to be honest like it kind of makes me wonder was like was this an overlooking of the team that were coming in fits was this just a seattle have a brain fart game or the giants kind of secretly building something and just not letting anyone see it yeah like look the giants defense uh, i've obviously been hot, like bigging them up uh, for a while now, uh, even before they started winning games, and look, the defense beat up on a on an offensive line that did was missing two of its starters. So obviously that doesn't doesn't help. I think they were playing like their third string right tackle, and basically Leonard Williams was bullying that fella, Chad Wheeler, all game once he came in early. And like they had a basically a kind of a third quarter where they got the run game going. They put in like eight offensive linemen, basically gave up on, you know, basically pretending to do anything else. And they had a couple of really big runs, one for Gallman and then Freddie Morris finished them off uh, once on a run and then other on a, on a play action. And um, that basically fooled Seattle. So Seattle's defense was mostly actually fine. Um, except for that third quarter, but because the offense and the rest of the team screwed up so much, that ended up being incredibly costly. Like Russell Wilson coughed the ball up twice in this game again, and they had a number of chances that they, that they screwed up. So they had a a field goal that got that that chose to punt on because they took a delay of game. They had a safety that probably should have been a touchdown, uh, but was pushed out by the defender. And another and Russell Wilson had a number of passes jump out like. His interception basically bounced right off the helmet of his receiver, Carson, and a number of other, like, Russell Wilson mistakes where he just kind of didn't look comfortable at all. He, he had that panic mode on, and it just was very, very uh, unbecoming altogether. So I think for Seattle, they should have won this game. If they had been more tight, they would have won this game. Like, McCoy, as you said, really didn't do much. Um, but, you know, the fact that they, the Giants came up, they were solid. They took advantage of their chances where Seattle didn't, ended up being really big. And, yeah, uh, I think for Seattle, it puts the Rams back into first place in the division. It basically pushes them out of the bye conversation. And this could end up looking very costly when the end of the season comes. Yeah, I, I think it's um, definitely for Seattle, the regression is worrying, especially on the offensive side. I mean, the offense was carrying this team so much through the early weeks, but it's definitely dropped off its productivity significantly. Uh, and given um, how competitive their division is and where they are in terms of the, the, the wild card race, um, they kind of want to get that back into form. But for me, I mean, I think the big story came out of this game is that we finally, after 13 weeks, have an, an NFC East team that might actually be considered uh, to be good, uh, even if only just in brackets um, for the moment. The, the Giants defense is really starting to look like it is a almost playoff level um, of, of a defense. Their offense uh, is admittedly non-existent, um, especially with Danny Dimes uh, not there, although the run game has produced a little bit um, here. So, I mean, the Giants, um, they're five and seven. They somehow are, despite the fact getting that magical five win, threshold which should win them their division they still have to compete with Washington Washington's surprise win and um, so they might need a, a, another win or two to seize that division but they are looking as it goes down the stretch as the team that the NFC East can be proud of and actually can send to the playoffs as, as, as one worthy um, of the of the name uh, division winner um, so I'm interested to see how that goes down the stretch maybe now that they've finally put their head um, um, above uh, the sand um, someone will come along and chop it off as been having in the NFC East all season where the, the team that looks good subsequently then has a disastrous three or four weeks to give another team um, the leg up. But for the moment, the Giants have, it looks like, the makings of a playoff team. Seattle may not, um, the way things are going. 
Jacksonville at Minnesota, 24 to 27 in overtime. Minnesota slip into what would be the wild card slot. With Cousins, like 300 yards, three touchdowns, but an interception and forced fumble. Looks pretty much the 50-50 player he has been for a lot. Cook, 179 yards, great performance. Jefferson, the rookie, 123 yards and a touchdown. They overall produced the way you would expect them to. Um, yeah, like the Jacksonville stuff, Glennon, 280 yards, two interceptions in the fourth fumble. Not exactly great, but what do you expect from the... From, what, like, I know he looks like a giraffe, but I got a feeling that there was at some point a nickname for him involving, like, you know, the big red giraffe or some shite. Um, but yeah, like this offense was all Robinson, 108 yards and a touchdown. Uh, defense did an okay job. To be honest, at times it felt like they should have won this game. Minnesota in that wildcard spot, but don't look like they're too problematic to be dealing with unless Cook just has a monster day. Like, you know, we kind of go, well, 180 yards for Cook, should that standard? Like, it's not standard to need 180 yards from your running back to be able to gut out an overtime win against the Jags. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm underwhelmed by Minnesota, underwhelmed by Jacksonville, underwhelmed by the sport as a whole, having watched this. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is not the game I wanted overtime in. Uh, yeah, I am refusing to, to talk about the Vikings uh, as a playoff team. I cannot uh, believe that a team this uninteresting um, is actually as live as they are. Um, hopefully they'll lose some games and drop out because I don't want to have to watch a playoff game that they are in. In terms of Jacksonville, I mean, this it's it's, it's almost a season that got away for them because their, their defense is improving. Now they've got some players back from injury and they're looking quite good at that end, but they're just the offense has been such a mess with the various quarterbacks that they've had to go through and um, that they they've somehow managed now to lose 10 games in a row and they're not even going to to win the the trevor lawrence sweepstakes so it's kind of a lost season um all around um for the jaguars and um, which is sad because they do seem like they could be competitive against teams around the eight and eight mark um but yeah uh, it's a game that that yeah we shouldn't spend too much time talking about other than to, to talk about how the vikings are somehow uh, now in a wild card spot and hopefully not for too long <laughs> look like minnesota i talked about this i've talked about this so many times but like they run like they have kubiak as the offensive coordinator and it feels like a classic kubiak offense going all the way back to his time in houston for example um, when they had Shaw at quarterback, it's just like you have a, you know, this system is just so good at covering up the blemishes of a, of mediocre quarterbacks. And even here, Cousins had a couple of mistakes that, that could have been costly. That, that, that pick six he threw was just, I don't know what the hell he was thinking on a, what was a busted uh, screenplay. Like, it, I don't know what he was up to. But look, when you have Dalvin Cook, who, to be fair, was stuffed up in the first half, but as the game went on, he wore down this Jacksonville front and started making yards, particularly in the in the fourth quarter and overtime. And then, you know, Justin Jefferson, look, Minnesota, there aren't that many exciting things about them. I'll agree with you there, Sean. But I think Justin Jefferson has been a revelation in his first year as a rookie. He's really exciting to watch. He makes that play action sing, you know, at least occasionally. And I think, you know, he's usurped Thielen as the wide receiver one. Uh, and I think he, he at least makes them, you know, at least somewhat explosive and gives them an element that they, they lacked last year, even with Stefan Diggs, who I think was a little less consistent and, and obviously had more issues with Cousins. Um, so I think like Minnesota, they feel like a 9-7 and seven team. And I wouldn't be surprised that was enough to get into the playoffs. But yeah, uh, compared to some of the other teams that are random that could get in there, you know, there are is maybe one or two other teams that will maybe be more, have more upside if they manage to make the playoffs. Indianapolis at Houston, 26 to 20. 
Yeah, fumble on a bad snap lets Indianapolis off as Watson, look, he tried to carry the team at 379 yards, touchdown, interception and forced fumble. Um, but this Indianapolis defense had five sacks and was was pretty decent. Rivers, 285 yards, two touchdowns. Rush attack was all right, just around 100 yards uh, in it. Like, it was a fine performance from Indianapolis. This is a Houston team that's now missing all wide receivers. It's missing several of its defensive pieces. Um, again, was ran this close and probably were going to lose this if it wasn't for the mistake near the red zone. Um, Houston... There's just not enough there at this point. Like it's just, it, it's unfortunate to watch, and you can see there's even been comments on social media from Watson about how frustrated he is and how unhappy he is at the moment. Um, on the on the Indianapolis side, it was good to see T. Y. Hilton have a big game, 110 yards and a touchdown. Taylor had 135 yards and a touchdown. It was a decent performance. They're hiding Rivers as much as they can at the moment, and I think they need to. They are going to have more of a problem now, as I believe we mentioned. They have offensive line troubles now with some injuries coming in. So, again, like it was an important game for Indianapolis to stay relevant, but this was not a, oh, they're going to scare someone in the wildcard kind of round performance. Yeah, I mean, speaking of teams that I don't want to see in the playoffs and <laughs> hopefully that they'll drop off, the, the Colts are right up there. And they're not only now, are they not only in the playoff contention, they're actually back in contention for their division as well. They've tied it up, I think, with the yeah, Titans now. I think the they're, Titans they're both eight, Yeah, they're both 8-4. and four, So, I mean, the, the Colts got lucky um, against a quite a limited team. Partly you can say that they ground out the victory. Partly they can say that they almost let Deshaun Watson beat them on his own. Um, you would be worried about this Colts team when they come up with it against a properly good team. They have some talent at the kind of wide receiver, right, running back um, positions. There were nice moments in this game from Hilton, from Taylor, and Hines as well had a, had a pretty decent game. So there is some talent there. Rivers is injured, and he's old, and he's crap, uh, and that's really kind of pulling them down. Um, they, they scored... I mean, there was no scoring in the second half of this game except for one safety. Yeah. Um, so that, <laughs> that that's, uh, that's something that's got to worry them, that they couldn't put this game away, um, given that they were in a winning position at the half would be a problem. From the Texans' side, I mean, it's, it's all Watson all the time, and he, get, he got absolutely no help in this game. And it really must be the most frustrating season in the world for him because he's, he's having a superstar year, but his team is, is like 3-8 and eight or 4-7 and seven or something like that. There were some very nice plays from him in the first half. Obviously, you can maybe give him a little bit um, of responsibility for the fumble at the end. I mean, it was a bad snap, but also possibly he, he could have done more with it. Um, but the, even the fact that the Texans were on the goal line uh, at the end of the fourth quarter with the possibility of getting the go-ahead touchdown just speaks to how well Watson um, is playing at the moment. Um, if I was him, I'd be getting onto my agent and finding a way out of this team as quickly as possible because there just does not seem to be the pieces around him um, to give him what he deserves. Um, so from 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 his perspective, um, you know, the, the years are, well, I mean, he's still, he's quite young, obviously, and he's got a long career ahead of him, but the longer he stays in the, in Houston, I think the more of his, of his potential is going to be uh, wasted. No, of course, and I think it was a four-year extension he signed in the offseason, so he's going to find it hard to get out of there. Although it might be, uh, Houston might look at their total roster and say, look, we need to, we need to just, start again the thing is it's very hard to come around to that decision when you've got a quarterback of his caliber there but they've got no first round pick second round pick this year i think no first round pick second round pick the year after like they've got they got nothing 
Um, next up, Denver at Kansas City, 16-22. to 22, A very sloppy Kansas City performance. The ends with the second Matthew pick to kind of defeat this Denver team and uh, ensure that they have a playoff spot. Mahomes had 318 yards and a touchdown. The big game for Kelsey, over 100 again. Uh, Locke did surprisingly well in this game. Like he had the mistakes with the uh, with the interceptions, but like he was 151 for two touchdowns. Was staying in the pocket against rushes was pretty good. Um, they had a decent run game going as well, but they weren't able to lean on it too much. And I think their um, their young rookie wide receiver, I think, had a pretty decent game as well. Um, obviously, there's questions for Denver coming out of this game about this was. One of the weakest KC performances, although the defense didn't do a terrible job and uh, Denver weren't really able to make the most of it. But also Kansas City were just sloppy in this one. Um, yeah, like, look, I suppose you'll take the win, but uh, you wouldn't, you'd want to see a little bit more accuracy and a little bit more kind of you know, taking it seriously, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think there's there's a concern here, a bit like Pittsburgh, where the run game, it had okay moments, uh, you know, in more standard play calling, but when they need a short down, when they just need to get a yard or two, they, they had a lot of struggles similar to Pittsburgh. So you'd, you'd be worried that that's concerned that they were missing uh, Edward Solaire, who was technically active but never played it down, and you're relying on Le'Veon Bell. So, you know, you'd have to wonder about that as a weakness. But for look, Denver, like... Like, Drew Locke was, yeah, better in this game, I suppose, than some of his other performances. He does have these flashes of sol- solidness, but he also makes these mistakes that make you wonder what, what's going on there. And when you have a run game that gets you 179 yards and at 5.4 per clip, albeit some of that on big plays for, for, uh, for Gordon, you know, you would expect your quarterback to have more opportunities, to be more comfortable and be able to, like, feed off the, the, the play action. But, you know... In the end, it didn't really. It didn't really matter. He did, wasn't good enough. And you know, if you're Denver, are you going to put your investment into this guy um, as your quarterback of the future? And if Vic Fangio, are you going to put your your franchise in his hands because he's built a good defense here, no doubt about that. He made the Kansas City Chiefs very uncomfortable for large parts of this game. But you know, in terms of building a winning roster. Um, you still have to have questions about them first. So Denver, uh, it's a bit of a lost season for them. We'll see what they do next year. But uh, yeah, major questions for them as they head into this offseason. Yeah, Cleveland to Tennessee. This one was a bit of a surprise, but great to see it. 41 to 35. The Browns hold. Baker had 334 yards, four touchdowns and a fourth fumble. And like I said, he should have had a fifth. Uh, the Peoples-Jones dropped one, a sitter in the end zone. Um, yeah, like they were up 38-7 to at the end of the first half. Tennessee tried to mount a comeback, and I think they had 18 unresponded points at one point. But like... Look, they were they 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 were never really in it all that much. Henry was sixty nine yards and a forced fumble. Like they just shut him down. Tannehill tried his best to keep it alive. Uh, nearly four hundred yards and three touchdowns for him. But it all happened far too late. Their defense has been terrible and is only getting worse with the loss of. I think they lost um, the pass rusher Clowney and another chap who also like have not been playing all that well for them at all this year. Like all of their free agent pickups really just haven't been working this is a great win for cleveland sean like you gotta be sitting there if you're a cleveland fan and saying man this is this is the kind of statement win over a playoff contender that we wanted to make yeah what what an era to be a football fan the cleveland browns are nine and three i'll say it again the cleveland browns have won nine out of their first 12 games (laughs) they have now won more games this season 
that in the 2016, 2017, and 2018 seasons combined, wow. um, they are they are essentially one win away from locking up their playoff spot. If they don't beat the Ravens uh, next week, they still have the Jets to come in week 15, <laughs> I think. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty much guaranteed. This was just a huge, huge win for the Browns. Um, Baker Mayfield um, had probably his best performance of the season. Um, he was just throwing all the difficult passes. He was making all the throws he had to make. I think it makes a huge difference for this offense in terms of kind of unpredictability and diversity. They can play the play action a bit more. They can keep defenses on their toes, which allows them, as in situations like this, to, to kind of rack up very big scores. We're beginning to see the kind of the offensive strength um, that, that Cleveland has beginning to come um, to to fruition. This is also, I think, a very big win psychologically, not just because it's about beating a fellow a kind of playoff contender, but also because if we think back to the opening weekend of last season, it was the Titans that were the ones who burst the initial Browns hype by absolutely giving them a total shellacking. I think it was like 43-13 or something and completely deflating the Browns season uh, straight away. So now this ability to come back kind of a season and a half later and, and put this kind of a beat down uh, on what is a very good Tennessee team must feel very good. The Browns are are live and they're dangerous and they're going to take some stopping in the playoffs. For Tennessee, I mean, it's it's up one week down the next week. They they really look like they they are struggling to maintain a consistency. They 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 can can be competitive at this level, but they don't seem to be able to beat teams above a certain. Um, a certain level of quality in particular. I, I would say their defensive deficiencies are going to be really um, problematic for them going down the stretch. Their pass defense is absolutely awful. I mean, as good as a game Baker Mayfield had was, um, he should not be getting, you know, this many yards. He's not that good of a quarterback that it shouldn't <laughs> look this easy for someone like Baker Mayfield to score effectively five touchdowns, even though only four of them. Um, counted. So the Titans are back in a fight for their division. They're back in a fight for, for playoff relevancy. Uh, and you would worry about their ability to be competitive. But for the Browns, I mean, the only way is up. This this team, you kind of feel they're, they're on the crest of a wave now. If they can beat the Ravens next week, I mean, I mean, all bets are off about what this team is capable of doing. No, of course, speaking of the Ravens, we're going to go to me in the future to see how that game went. So the Ravens won out 34-17 over the Cowboys. Um, Dalton did a decent enough job, uh, nearly 300 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, these teams had like inverse approaches to this game. So Dallas ran for 110 yards, weren't really getting the kind of production out of they wanted. And then they passed for nearly 300. Whereas on the other side, Baltimore, if you're worried about the COVID stuff impacting them at all, you can you can forget about it. Jackson ran for ninety four yards. They had two hundred and ninety four yards on the ground. They only passed for a hundred, but that's the kind of game they want to play. They had two touchdowns passing. They had two touchdowns uh, rushing. It was a solid performance, although thirty four to seventeen, it didn't feel that distant until the fourth quarter at all. Good performances. It feel like Gallup stepped up for the Cowboys, but yeah, like this was all about the ground game. This was thirty seven carries. We got. Jackson in there, Edwards in there, Dobbins, even Ingram. Like, it was being mixed around. This is the way that Baltimore want to win, and they'll need to win a few more like this if they want to stay relevant in the playoff hunt. Uh, Ronan, Lele Rams at Arizona, 38-28. to Yeah, look, an important win for the Rams. They, they hold off Arizona. 
Um, they kind of kind of took over this game in the fourth quarter. And like Jared Goff, he cut out the mistakes from the loss against San Francisco, 350 yards of touchdown, spread the ball around to all of his receivers, Cup, Woods, um, Everett, uh, Higby, etc. And they got a decent work from Cam Akers, who seems to be emerging as the workhorse for them there. And then the defense did its work. It got a touchdown, it had two turnovers, it had two sacks, and it made uh, Kyler Murray uncomfortable all day. And look, Kyler Murray is struggling a lot right now. Um, less than 200 yards. He had a three touchdowns, but a lot of that was set up by the run game. And look, DeAndre Hopkins was blanketed by Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey all game. 52 yards and a touchdown. I think when, you, when you're missing DeAndre Hopkins, this whole offense struggles. And when you're missing Kyler Murray running, it struggles even more. So look, I don't know how bad his shoulder is, but they need to take more risks because now they've slipped out of the, out of the wild, card, like wild card spot and their season could be over before they know it. So they need to take more risks and get things done or they're going to have a lot more losses like this going forward. But for the Rams, they're on top of the NFC West, and they'll be happy with that overall. No, of course. Next up, New Orleans at Atlanta. They squeak it out over Atlanta, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I think grinding it out, I mean, is uh, it's perhaps a little bit of, of an oversimplification. The, 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 the Saints win 21-16 and are holding on a bit at the, the end, but they were mostly comfortable in this game up until kind of the, the, the second half of the fourth quarter when they kind of let the the Falcons back into it. Interesting game from Taysom Hill. Probably the first time he's actually looked like a proper quarterback. He had his first two touchdown passes. He had 232 yards. He also added another 80-odd yards um, on the ground. He did He did have a fumble, but but it, it looked for the first time as if Sean Payton knows what he's talking about when he, when he decided this guy um, is for real and, and that he wanted to, to put his, his team on his shoulders while Breeze was out injured. That said, Breeze possibly being back next week is probably the best piece of news the Saints have ever heard because even though they've gotten through his injury unbeaten, you kind of felt that there was a big loss just around the corner if this kind of um, if this kind of team kept going um, as it is. And from the Atlanta perspective, um, I mean, Ryan, 273 yards, a touchdown was okay. That the rush game struggled a little. They had red zone struggles as well. They were one and four. The, the Falcons, I mean, there's the Ryan Julio Jones tandem works well, but there isn't an awful lot else going on. Their season's kind of drifted away from them because of their bad start. They're probably better than their record suggests, which is why they can be competitive in these kind of games. Um, but ultimately, um, it's kind of a forgettable season for them. For the Saints, they're in the playoffs. They're probably looking to be the number one seed. They get Drew's, Drew B's back. They're going to be quite and competitive going down the stretch, but it's good to know that Taysom Hill is capable of a game like this if they need him um, at some point in the playoffs. No, of course, Detroit, Chicago, 34 to 30. You could have been someone, you could have been a contender instead of the bum, which is what you are, Chicago. 10 points up in the fourth quarter, and Mitch Titties makes a fucking balls of it. 267 yards, touchdown and fourth fumble. He undoes all the work he's done with a late fourth fumble to let Stafford and them come back into the game. And uh, when the Chicago defense, like, showed up a little bit but it's not really like the game changing version they had beforehand but like I said like Detroit are not a good team Chicago have a 10 point fucking lead and they make a balls of it like it was just awful 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 and there's nothing good to come out of it because all you've got is further controversy around the quarterback Bohr calls for just let Allen Robinson go to any other team whenever he hits free agency uh, their chance of sneaking into the playoffs are dying and the chance of the Lions sneaking into the playoffs is increasing which is probably as worrying for me as the Chicago Bears being in the playoffs <laughs> so if, if anything worse at least there's a bit of variance in the Chicago Bears um, yeah 
bad performance. Detroit sneak out a win that they didn't earn and don't deserve. Uh, that's about it. So now we're going to go to the dump off for the last of the games. We're going to pass over to Ronan to fly through the remaining games on the schedule. Yep, Buffalo at San Francisco, 34-24. to Look, it was a bit of a dumb first quarter where they both got stuffed and poured down on the goal line. Uh, but once Buffalo went up uh, in the second quarter, they never looked like giving the lead back to San Francisco. Allen had a great day, 386 yards, four touchdowns, and he basically carried the entire offense and, uh, you know, an okay defense. Mullins was up and down as usual, like three touchdowns, two turnovers, although one was like off the receiver's hand, so I can't blame him too much. But I think the fact that San Francisco de-wilted so hard after having an excellent game against the Rams last week, you know, I think they're more of a pretender than a contender, and given their record, they're not making the playoffs. Uh, Philly at Green Bay, 16 to 30. Pretty routine win for Green Bay. Rogers slowly unpicked the Philly defense and got his three touchdowns before Aaron Jones salted the game away late with a big touchdown run. Wentz was benched for very, very legitimately because he was terrible. Jalen Hurts came in, had a touchdown, made a few nice plays with his arms and his legs. I think if I was a Philly coach, I would probably put him in next week. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, in the previews. But the Philly season is over um, and there's not much there left to play for. Cincinnati at Miami, 7-19. An ugly Miami win, which was marred by a number of big fights on the field, uh, which, which was precipitated by a dirty hit um, on the uh, Miami returner. It was, that was just an ugly hit. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, I suppose like uh, the, the coach, Brian Flores looked like he wanted to punch someone uh, alongside his players but like Tua was solid um, he leaned on Gaskin and the defense to kind of do most of the work as they've done the most of the wins this week but like they were against a completely aimless Cincinnati team without Joe Burrow like they had one big play to Boyd 72 yard touchdowns otherwise they did nothing all day and uh, Miami just to like get away with it and look and then finally New England at the Chargers uh, Sean's hopes continue for one more week as they trash the Chargers 45 to nil they dominated every single phase of this game as Cam basically didn't have to do much, only had 100 yards in total all-purpose and two touchdowns. But Harris was okay with 80 yards. Their defense had three sacks and two interceptions and absolutely killed Herbert. And the special teams, shout out to them. They got a, a touchdown off a kick block and then Gunnar Osleski had three punt returns for 145 yards and a touchdown. Um, that's pretty goddamn impressive. I think he also had a touchdown from Jared Siddham when this game was out of reach. So fair play to Gunnar Osleski, uh, the next uh, New England superstar, next uh, Wes Welker, maybe. And yeah, look, Herbert did nothing. He had no help from any of else's team. And uh, yeah, just a pretty Chargers performance overall. I don't know, Sean, if you want to get one word in about New England uh, before we head oh, on to the oh for the days, Oh, for the days when the Patriots could comfortably win a team without breaking a sweat. Um, this was a kind of a... Uh, going back in time moment, um, it was very nice to see. But yeah, they'll have to win out if they want to make the playoffs, which I don't see happening. But it's nice to see them back at 500, which feels a little bit more um, like where they should be. Yeah. Uh, we'll swing over and have a look at the games for next week. Okay, first up, we have New England at the Rams. We've all gone for the Rams across the board. Uh, I presume this is because solid defensive showings and decent offensive showings from the Rams. New England, while they hammered the living crap out of the Chargers. Uh, do you know what, though? New England did know exactly how to deal with this McVeigh team every time they've met, though. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see a New England win here. I mean, I think it's it's closer than, than all three of us picking one team to win should be i just i mean i'm just not i'm just not committed to this patriots team yet i mean i think they have a lot of inconsistency they have the potential to play very well one week and not well the next week i, I think there's 
uh, enough variation um, in terms of what the Rams can do uh, offensively to kind of keep this this wobbly pass defense um, kind of on the back foot. Um, I think Donald could could have a field day uh, with the, the Pats O-line. So I think there's still enough deficiencies in, in the in the Pats for me to worry about them. But certainly the Rams are, are not exactly world beaters either or haven't looked like them. So I could see that it being a close game and the Pats having a, a day where they pull it out. Um, but, I mean, my feeling is that the Rams uh, will, will, will take this one. I think it's all about that New England defense. Like we saw the Jared Goff a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco. They absolutely bamboozled him. Um, if they can do that again, if Belichick, Belichick can beat out McVeigh and outthink him, then yeah, New England have a chance. But I think, you know, based on the quality and talent deficit, you have to pick the Rams at the moment. No, of course. Next up, Tennessee at Jacksonville. Let's be honest, Jacksonville are not a football team at the moment. They are a draft pick waiting to happen essentially. Tennessee look to get themselves right. Even though they lost to the Browns, they put up a lot of points. I can't see past them in that game, uh, even if they're on the road. Next up is Ronan's pick of the week. It's Minnesota at Tampa Bay. Yeah, so like probably one of the more unusual games and one that could certainly not be the prettiest on the eye, but Yeah, you've picked to watch Minnesota, like <laughs> Yeah, look, Minnesota are now in the final wildcard spot. Tampa Bay have been incredibly inconsistent, showing some games where they're absolutely dominant, some games where they're kinda of crap, some games where they do, you know, both in the same game, like the Chiefs game, for example. Um so like look, Tampa Bay are coming off their bye. You know, maybe they had those chats, uh, you know, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, Todd Bowles, they all sat down, talked about the things that worked and the things that didn't work. And they can come out here against Minnesota, who, as we know, are a flawed team and absolutely hockey them. And I think, you know, all of us think that's a realistic enough prospect that we're going to pick Tampa Bay here. And obviously they are solid enough that even if it is a closer game, that Tampa Bay can get the job done. Obviously, for Tampa Bay, the big thing on defense is stopping Dalvin Cook and then hopefully not leaving Justin Jefferson one-on-one. Um, that, that's something you may have learned not to do against elite wide receivers, Tampa Bay. Uh, let's see if you do that. And for Minnesota, like, look, yeah, Dalvin Cook is important. But I think for them, their defense has been getting better. And obviously, you know, the, the, the cliche is if you can get pressure on Tom Brady, then he can make mistakes. And that's certainly been true this year. He is more limited. He's obviously getting... Uh, way up there in terms of age for a quarterback and I think if they can get pressure on him then maybe they can make this a close game but look Tampa Bay are the preferred team but I think it's just two teams um, which are very inconsistent very hard to read um, so it should be an interesting and important game if not necessarily one that uh, you more high flying people might enjoy no Denver Carolina well, I, I mean I, I do I, I do think it will be an interesting game if only because and what we're seeing is going to be strengths against strengths and weaknesses against weakness. We've got, we got Dalvin Cook against probably the best run defense um, in the league. And then we've got um, Kurt Cousins against a slightly wobbly pass defense. So it'll be interesting to see if the Vikings can build an, an offensive game um, around um, their, their around Cousins in the pass game in the same way that, say, for example, got Chicago um, the wins um, uh, and the Rams wins um, over the Buccaneers. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how the Vikings approach this. But, but certainly if the Bucs can get offensively flying uh, as they're capable of, then they should put up enough points regardless. So it could be interesting, however, to see how the Vikings take this game um, to the Bucs. Yeah, I was yeah. hemming and hawing about whether or not to take the Tampa Bay. And I was like, well, I just really don't want to have to watch Minnesota in the past. So <laughs> and maybe, made, look, made it real easy for me. <laughs> Uh, like Tampa Bay, maybe this should be a Rojo game where they run the ball, they grind down Minnesota and beat them at their own game. Um, 
I don't know if that's what Arians wants to do or what Tom Brady wants to do, but maybe would make sense here. James Robinson had success against uh, Minnesota on the ground. Um, and of course, that would make it a you know, as I say, not one for the for the more exciting people, but uh, you know that might be what makes it be most effective for Tampa Bay going down the stretch. No, of course, Denver, Carolina. We've all gone for Carolina, Roden. Look, a game between two nothing teams who are seemingly are up and down every single uh, week. Um, for Carolina, I think we're picking them. I think they get CMC back this week, although DJ Moore might be out due to COVID. So look, Carolina, they have Teddy. They're solid. Um, I think for Denver, if they're going to win this game, it'll be all about establishing that rush attack. Carolina's run defense hasn't been great. So, look, I wouldn't get rid of Denver completely, but I think Carolina, we've just been more impressed with their coaching and level performance over the course of the season, and they can get a, another win against an OK team uh, here at home. Yeah, next up, Kansas City at Miami. We've all gone for Kansas City. Um, yeah, I'd like to see KC get back rolling a little bit more offensively in this game, although Miami have provided quite a good defense and special teams performances for the entirety of this season. Uh, Miami, they'll be looking at uh, trying to get Tua a little bit more involved, getting a little bit more out of him because he has not been performing as well. This offense over the last few weeks has looked like it's better and would be better more permanently under Fitz at the moment. So we'll see how that goes for them. Um, and then on the KC defensive side, it'll be an interesting matchup, particularly if it is two that's in there. They should be able to put some pressure on. It should make it a bit more interesting. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think if Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing here, I'd give Miami more of a shot. But the offense with Tua, who is playing hurt, and you can tell he was playing hurt this week, it's just a situation where you're like, do they, they, they're not pulling up enough points to, to beat a Chiefs team, even if their defense is really good. Like, you're not going to hold the Chiefs to less than 20 points. And if you're not going to score more than 20 points, you're going to lose this game, Miami. That's how math works. And I think, you know, for, for Miami, I need to see more from them. Like, Gaskin came back was, and was solid. Their defense, we know, is really good under Brian Flores. But Tua's got to show up. He's got to play really well. Because if he doesn't, this could easily get and turn into an ugly blowout for Kansas City. Like, Miami are too well coached to, for me to say that's definitely going to happen. But Tua's really got to step up. Dallas at Cincinnati. We've all got for Dallas? Wow. Yeah, this is a grim game, Sean. Yeah, I mean, two teams whose seasons are pretty much over. Um, I mean, we've gone for Dallas across the board because Cincinnati don't really have an offense uh, anymore um, since the, the injury to, to Burrow. Um, Dallas have looked a little bit more frisky uh, in the past few weeks. The, the offense is beginning to click a little bit around Dalton. The defense is even beginning to stop being completely awful. So I think they should have enough to edge them out here. If the Bengals were healthy, this might be a more interesting game. But as it is, it's two basement teams um, beating each other up. And I think the Cowboys should have enough to pull it out. Yeah. Arizona at the New York Giants. I've gone for Arizona and you guys have gone for the Giants. Um, yeah, just looking at the defense and thinking, about it, I, I, I was with you on the Giants initially. And then I swapped thinking... Do you know what? It took a very specific defensive personnel set to be able to shut them down that much by the Rams. You needed that number one corner to take New Hopkins out of the game, and they don't have that. You needed the pressure, which they've been getting more of, but I think they're going to try and scheme away from it. I, I think the Giants are nearly there, but I also think Arizona have better talent. I don't think they, the, 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 the defense in New York matches up to shut them down like the last game. And also, even in that last game when they were shut down, like they still put up 28 points, which I'm not 100% sold on this New York Giants offense being able to do that. And that was an Arizona team that put up 28 points against a defense that was perfectly matched to take them on. 
Well, look, I think a lot of this relies on whether Daniel Jones is back. Even if he's a little bit hurt, I think he would be an improvement upon Colt McCoy, um, unless he returns to some of his uh, turnover ways. Um, but I think he, he's he's cleaned up his game. He's a bit like Baker a few like a month ago, where he's just like he'd been instructed, don't turn the ball over, and it makes him a lot less dynamic. But it made him pretty solid. Um, if he's out and Colt McCoy is in, then yeah, I give Arizona probably just a slight edge um, but for look the Giants the big thing for them is that we know that the Arizona offense is struggling recently James Bradbury isn't a shutdown corner that's not really how he plays the game but he's been solid enough and should make D-Hop's life at least somewhat difficult and yeah I think if the Giants show up like they did this week and what they've done recently in terms of their defense I think Kyler Murray has been making mistakes he's been turning the ball over and he's been playing you know within himself and Giants could make this into another grind fest that they managed to get out of here and you know obviously Obviously, they'll need the run game of Gallman to get going. And for Arizona, maybe that will be the secret to them winning this game. If they can get uh, Kenyon Drake going, he's looked better over the last few weeks, then that could be the, the secret that kind of takes the pressure off Kyler, makes them a more complete team. But given the issues with Kyler and the issues with their defense, I'm going to give it to the Giants here. But yeah, it's a close enough game between two teams who are very playoff relevant right now. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think the big thing is, is whether Murray turns up back in form. He hasn't looked the same since the injury. It, it, it's it's not it's affecting perhaps less and less the weeks go by, but he's still not quite at that level of productivity. And the Giants' defense is just in such good form um, that they'll be gunning for him, and it is possible that they'll have a very tough a tough day of it. Yeah. Next up, Houston at Chicago. Uh, yeah, uh, me and Sean have gone for Chicago. Fitz has gone for Houston. Um, both bad teams one is one has a great quarterback and nothing around them one has a lot of stuff around them and a terrible quarterback it's a game it's a very much a game of two halves it's uh not worth watching uh, i think chicago will edge it because they're at home and they have a decent defense that will get after watson uh watson has a tendency to hold the ball too long and uh with less wide receiving options he's probably going to do that more um but yeah either one could win this and nobody's going to care what the outcome is indianapolis at the las vegas raiders me and sean have gone for vegas and fitz you've gone for indy uh, i kind of put this as a like flip a coin 50 50 game yeah and i think for me i'm going for the Colts primarily because i think they're just a more solid all-around team i think the fact that jonathan taylor has had a couple of good weeks there is important we've talked about how they kind of lacked a hard nose running game and against this las vegas run defense there's a good chance that he along with naheem heinz and jordan wilkins sp uh, sprinkled in can get the ball going take the pressure off rivers and then set up maybe a few play action to Pittman or ty hilton and against the vegas team which just seems to be reeling right now after escaping from the jets and now against that awful Atlanta loss I just kind of take the Atl Indianapolis team to to be solid enough uh, on, the, on defense to kind of make their lives troublesome and then solid enough on offense to kind of rack up the points and leave the Vegas in enough hole that they can't get back here but uh, yeah as you say both these teams are very hard to read right now and neither of them are exciting us uh, as much as they did maybe earlier on in the in the, in the season yeah, I, I've gone for the Raiders here mostly because I want to see them in the playoffs and I don't want to see the Colts in the playoffs and this is basically the only way that's going to happen um, so hopefully the Raiders will turn up in Chiefs form uh, and not in Jets form uh, for this game. Yeah, and they're at home and like sure they know Rivers very well. They've played him in division for a number of years. And I just I just like the explosive weapons on Vegas more than I do the Colts. The Colts are just a bit fucking boring to me. Jets at Seattle. We've gone for Seattle across the board. So you think you can lose to the Giants, but you can step up against the Jets. You're not going to double dip <laughs> in New York sadness, no? 
Well, Jamal Adams should be pretty motivated for this game. Jamal Adams' revenge game, etc., etc. But look, look, Seattle, they, they have struggled. That They are a lot less good than they looked like a few, um, a couple of months ago. But like the offense is still explosive against the, the non-elite defense, as we saw that a couple of weeks ago against Arizona. The Jets don't have an elite defense. So I expect Seattle, that they'll obviously be in the mood and inclined to try and make this a big score game, grind them down and win this game easily. Because the Jets, they're just not a good team. I don't see them winning a game in Seattle. It's just, it's just not plausible. Yeah, New Orleans at Philly. Uh, I don't think we've had confirmation yet about who will be starting at quarterback for this game, but we've all gone for New Orleans anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I mean Philly are, are just awful. It, it doesn't really matter who who starts for them. They're just not going to be anywhere near the talent level that the Saints have. The Saints have proven that they can win without Drew Brees. They also might have Drew Brees back for this one. Um, so either way, the Saints are just going to be too good here. It would be a very big surprise if the Eagles are able to, to just put up enough points to stay competitive with them for long enough. I could see this being a bit of a blowout if, if the Saints um, get on a roll. Yeah, Washington at San Francisco. Me and Fitz have gone for Washington. Sean, you've gone for Sam Fran. I'm uh, all about this hype for the Alex Smith revenge game all the way back to those bastards who drafted him and then gave him five different offensive coordinators in a row. Um, yeah, I like the Washington defense, how they've been playing. They, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this mostly on the fact that I'm assuming that they'll have their running backs back. But they looked good last week, and Smith seems to be coming into his own again. San Fran are still down a lot of players, uh, but I, I do see it kind of as, as a pick'em game. Uh, if, if everyone was at full health, obviously I would be taking San Fran here. But I am edging towards the Washington football team. Yeah, and Washington's yeah, I don't... defense... Sorry, Washington's run defense is really good, so that's why I'm picking them, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I just I just don't buy Washington have all that much talent, and I think San Francisco are a well-coached team, and they are capable of having weeks when they play well. And, I mean, Washington, I guess, qualifies as a good team now, and 49ers tend to play well against good teams, so so why not? Why not have the, the Niners to win this one? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, uh, I because I suppose that, that, that transitive property, I would imagine that Pittsburgh are better than San Francisco and Washington beat Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> uh, next up, Atlanta at the Chargers. We've all gone for Atlanta because the Chargers don't know how to win a game. They possibly could here because Atlanta equally just know how to lose loads of games. Um, but yeah, this is just a no one cares game. Uh, like, this is a team who have already had their coach fired versus a team who are going to have their coach fired. So, yeah, I, I suppose it'd just be fun to see what way they fuck up the timing of this one or their game plan or whatever. This is going to be messy. Uh, Green Bay at Detroit. Ronan, we've all gone for Green Bay because Detroit are sad. Yeah, uh, I think that they, they showed some things against Chicago. Uh, I think for Detroit, if they can put up at least a decent defensive showing uh, and kind of get back to you know, Matt Stafford throwing it up a lot and having a bit of fun, then it wouldn't be the worst game. But look, they're, they're running out the, the thread on the season. Green Bay are an elite team, probably, you know, either the first or best team in the NFC. Uh, and I can see them, you know, just doing what they do. Aaron Rodgers puts up a lot of yards. I expect Aaron Jones to have a pretty good game against a bad run defense. And then their defense will do enough early on when it matters that Detroit will be in too big of a hole to come back. But like, look, Detroit, with with, with with Patricia gone, don't look as sad anymore. So if they can make this at least somewhat entertaining, that would be enough for their fans at the moment. Yeah, next up's my pick of the week, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Uh, me and Fitz are gone for Buffalo. Sean's gone for Pittsburgh in this one. Look, it's a very entertaining 
game. Top of the top of the leagues up in AFC taking each other on. The AFC North is the AFC East. Uh, this should make for an exciting one. Both used to playing in the elements, so it shouldn't impact either team too much. Pittsburgh looking to bounce back against after that uh, big loss last week. Buffalo looking to keep things rolling and try and lock up uh, a, a nice top place so they can get a home game for the uh, for the playoffs. Like I'm going for Buffalo in this because we've seen Allen looked good last week. Their defense has looked a bit better. And I really just, I've been saying this for a few weeks, I just don't trust this Pittsburgh team. Um, now, the thing is, this this will be where they can prove me wrong and they can say, right, we're going to reassess and come out and fire on all cylinders. I mean, they do have the firepower to do it. Their defense is, is, is good enough for it. Now, they're missing some of the pass rush on that Pittsburgh defense, so that'll help a bit. Uh, but yeah, like, going for the home team, expecting a it might not be the prettiest game in the world is the only thing but I'm expecting like to see a proper kind of tough like th- this will be what we were expecting the, the elite AFC North games to look like this year even though it's an AFC East team involved yeah I mean if you do want to talk about trusting teams I mean I don't trust the Buffalo Bills I think they're capable of having uh, very inconsistent weeks uh, and the they definitely, when they play good teams, can can come up short uh, quite a bit as they have this season. I think it's I'd be wary about seeing look reading too much into the Steelers' uh, one defeat. I think their defense is still elite. I think they're going to really cause some troubles um, for the Bills. The Bills have no run game, so they're very much reliant on their on their passing game working, which that kind of predictability might play into the Steelers' hands. I mean, I think the real question is if the Steelers' offense can get going. We've seen it's capable. They have the wide receivers there to, to have good games, but um, I don't know if, if Ben maybe doesn't have it anymore or whatever. They just sometimes they just don't produce. But I, I see enough in this Pittsburgh team in the first eleven weeks of the season, the first eleven games of the season, to think that they're probably better than the, the, the Bills. Um, and so I, I think the Bills will come up short here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of those games that's very hard to call. Uh, because I think the things that we'd want them to do to win this game are the things that they've been they've been bad at. Um, and I think for Pittsburgh, if they're going to win this game, they're going to need to establish the run. They're going to need to be able to run the ball with James Conner if he's back or, or with uh, Schnell and McFarland. Like, it's just, you know, Pittsburgh, they've been so inconsistent. Their offense, I kind of feel they've been figured out to some extent, but Washington and Baltimore just seem to know what they were doing. And if Ben Rodford isn't willing to throw it up more, more of those 50-50 balls and willing to stretch the game, then I could just see this Buffalo defense, which is sneakily even getting a little bit better, as Connor said, then they could really put it up to them. But like, look, we, we've seen, as you said, enough from Pittsburgh that I wouldn't discount them at all. But yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo feel like a team that's kind of getting back to form, whereas Pittsburgh feel like they've been teetering for a couple of weeks. So I think the form team takes it here. Next up, we've got Sean's pick of the week, uh, Monday Night Football Baltimore at Cleveland. And who'd have thunk it coming into this season? You said this to us any other year, and we would have said, ah, that's never happening. Baltimore, Cleveland, we're all taking Cleveland, Sean. Across the board, um, yeah, very big game, AFC North um, competition. Uh seedings in the playoffs for the Ravens even the fact that they might fall out of the, the playoff spots since they've had such a terrible run of it and I mean I think I think okay it's going to be a weird one because it's divisional teams and they always have their own dynamics they know each other very well the Browns are going to have a little bit of an inferiority complex because the Ravens have beaten them up year after year so they'll have to get over that they had a pretty poor if I remember the reverse picture earlier in the season the Browns got beaten pretty badly so this will be another one of those kind of psychological games can the Browns rise to the occasion 
and do it's enough. Um, if they if Baker can continue on the form that he's in, if the run game can produce the way it has been, um, then I, I, I can't see the Ravens kind of keeping up, especially the way that their offense itself has become. Um, we talked we talk there about the Pittsburgh offense becoming predictable. The, the Baltimore offense has definitely become very predictable. They don't have enough um, uh, kind of a pass game, and the run game has been figured out quite a bit in terms of the, the kind of plays that they run. Um, so I can see this game being a game where both teams know each other very well, and it's just about where the Browns can produce enough of a performance that we know they're capable of to reach that magical holy grail of 10 wins in an entire one entire season um, for the Cleveland Browns, which would just be unheard of and would make this 2020 the most 2020 um, uh, ever. It would just kind of wrap up the, the weirdness of this year if the, if the Browns can get to 10 wins by beating the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. I don't want to see them beat the Baltimore. I want them to hammer the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are reeling right now. As you say, they've been figured out on the offense. They're still dealing with the aftermath of all the COVID stuff. And I want Cleveland to come out here and show us, like they did against Tennessee, that they are a legit contender in the AFC. I want Miles Garrett to hit Lamar Jackson many, many times. I want Nick <laughs> Chubb to get over 100 yards. And yeah, I want Baker Mayfield on play action to get you know a performance like he did. I think Cleveland, you know, given what those fans have gone through, given the history, of course, we know with the Baltimore franchise and the stealing that they did from Cleveland, I think you know revenge is, is a dish best served cold and if they can eliminate or you know make baltimore's road to the playoffs incredibly difficult by absolutely killing them here i think you know it would be very hard not to cheer them on and to say fair play to them uh, as they headed to the playoffs uh, themselves uh, in 2020 yeah like yeah this is i had forgotten about the uh, the the baltimore cleveland the team running out in the middle of the night kind of thing that just adds an extra layer of spiciness to this yeah, yeah. absolutely kill them cleveland. <laughs> this would be great now this this like we talked last week's game about being that big statement one over the titans if they could do this now i would be oh, oh it'd be it'd be a big big momentum shifter for the for, for that whole uh afc north as a whole i think which would be great to see but yeah, that'll that'll do it for this week. So any, any plans for the weekend with yourselves, lads? Uh, yeah, as I said, I'm mostly kind of getting the planning ahead uh, for heading back to Cavan. And uh, yeah, that's mostly going fine. I have most of it sketched out. And so, you know, because of that, I'm mostly in a waiting pattern, trying to avoid as much contact as possible. As I say, I kind of pseudo cocoon uh, for the next uh, week or so. So uh, yeah, other than that, just tipping away at work. Very good. Yeah, Call yourself, Sean. Um, yeah, I'm quite similar in terms of the fact that I basically live in a cocoon at the moment. I don't see anybody um, at all, really. Um, so, uh, yeah, all the decorations are up. The presents are all wrapped uh, and bought. Everything is everything is done. So there's not much to do now except to wait for Christmas. Um, we still haven't fully decided if we're going to go up. I mean, um, my fiance Sarah, her family's in Donegal, which is... Um, very far away and also <laughs> riddled with COVID. So uh, numerous reasons not to go on, 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 on the plus side, Sean, from what I understand, uh, all the COVID is outbreaks in the hospital. So just don't get sick of anything else when you're up there and you won't get it. I think that's always the way when you go up to Donegal. But yeah, um, yeah so we'll, we'll have to see about our plans. But for this weekend, yeah, certainly nothing, nothing on the agenda other than staying away from the, from the global pandemic as it ravages um, uh, the globe. Ah, very good. To book the trend, I'm going out for dinner. Uh, <laughs> but to be fair, I'm going out for dinner with uh, 
my brother and his fiance, who we're going to be seeing over Christmas. So it is just the bubble that we will be seeing at Christmas. <laughs> so it's not too much of a, a jump, but yeah, no, it should be uh, should be good. As I said, got all the presents ordered now. I think just need to make sure everything's wrapped and ready to go, and. Uh, kind of starting a semi-wind down in work at this stage. So we've got a few bits this week, a few bits next week, and then it's really kind of swing down to Kerry and then up from Kerry to Donegal. So that'll be uh, exciting times. And um, we'll need to work out our recording schedules throughout the, the holidays as well. Yeah. yeah. I Fun don't know uh, what the internet situation will be for you this year, Connor. As bad as usual, I assume? Oh, it'll be. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure something out. <laughs> uh, but no, I suppose for now, that's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.